You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Good morning, church. So wonderful to see you today. Uh, good morning, those of you who are in the fellowship hall worshiping there. Um, my name is Brady Goodwin, and I have the honor of serving as one of the pastors here at Northway. And I uh, want to invite you in your Bibles to turn to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. We're going to take a little break from our Genesis series this morning. And uh, yes, it is Mother's Day, but in our sermon calendar today, if we would have kept going in Genesis, actually would have been the story of Cain and Abel. So, wisdom prevailed, and we'll look at that narrative next week. Um, but we thought it would be a great opportunity this morning um, to take a step back and think about some of our vision here at Northway. And a little bit of context, uh, about a month ago on April 10th, we hosted an update meeting. And during that meeting, if you were here, one of the really significant updates we shared was a renewed clarity around a vision for Northway to be a training and sending church following the pattern of the church in Antioch in the book of Acts. Um, That vision is something that we as elders believe God has given us um, in providing direction for the future. And it's something that we're really thrilled about because in the end, training and sending, I'll I'll help to unpack both of those terms and what they mean, has to do with equipping men and women to maturity as they walk with Christ and to send them out in the hope of the gospel for the sake of Christ. It's a really beautiful opportunity that we have the privilege to steward. Um, and, and we see this pattern laid out in the book of Acts in the church of Antioch. And so what we're going to do today is to look at two passages in Acts chapter 11 and Acts 13 that help us to see a little bit of what this vision looks like. Um, what we're really trying to accomplish today is to understand how did, this, how did this experience, these characteristics, this kind of church exist then in uh, the book of Acts in Antioch? And how is this relevant for our life today here at Northway? What can we glean from this church and what God was doing in this particular period of time? And how might he be at work in similar ways in our setting. So that's what we're going to be doing, looking at Acts 11, verses 19 through 30, and then we'll jump over to Acts 13 and look at just the first few verses. So let's read these two passages. We'll pray, and then we're going to jump in. Acts 11, starting in verse 19, the Word of God says this, "'Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen,' traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. 
and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Okay, jump over to Acts 13. We'll read verses one through three. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is God's word. Let's pray as we begin. Father in heaven, would you, as we reflect upon these words, would you fill us as a church with a longing for your glory through Jesus Christ, that his renown and splendor and majesty would be known in our body, that it would be seen in our church and in our world, and that this stirring of faith would guide us as we look to the future and what you are doing in our midst here at Northway in Dallas. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So anytime we see uh, an organization or some sort of entity that has significant success, we're always trying to figure out what happened to lead to it. If you look at folks who win the Super Bowl, okay, I don't really care about football anymore. That part of my life is over. But I am interested in looking at what drives success, what creates effectiveness, and what we find are usually key characteristics that drive the results, things that you can look at and say, these people did this, whereas these people did not, and they experienced these kinds of results. In the church, it's not too dissimilar. It's not the same thing, because in the end, the Spirit of God does what He pleases, But we can see, even in the scriptures, different attributes that help to explain why certain things happened the way that they did. What drove the expansion of the gospel? What led to health among churches? And this is one of those accounts that help give us something of a blueprint for what an effective church that focuses on training and sending looks like and how God blessed these efforts in those days and what he would do in a church like ours as we, as we particularize on some of the same things. And so that's what we're trying to do first. As we look more closely at this passage, we want to consider this pattern that existed in the church in Antioch. What made it distinct? as a center for the expansion of the gospel in the early days of Christianity. This passage that we just read shows us seven characteristics that make up this blueprint 
that help explain how Antioch was a hub for training and sending. So we're gonna first look at those characteristics before we come back and think about how this might be relevant for us at Northway. So the first characteristic was this. The church in Antioch was started by ordinary Christians. If we think about earlier what happens in the book of Acts, we see in, verse, in chapter 11, verse 19, this, this phrase, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. Back in Acts chapter six, Stephen is set apart as one of the first deacons of the church. In Acts, at the end of that chapter, he is uh, arrested by the Jewish leaders and called to account for his faith in Jesus. And he gives this incredible sermon so incredible, it culminates in a, a kind of rebuke and indictment of the Jewish leaders for their complicity in the death of Jesus. In their anger, they kill Stephen. And at the end of chapter seven and the beginning of chapter eight, we see the church is scattered as a result of this persecution. But what happens is that Luke is very careful in Acts chapter eight to note who stayed in Jerusalem and who went. Let me just read this to you. Acts eight verse one says this, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostle. So when we read in Acts eleven nineteen that those who were scattered because of the persecution arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, the point for us to notice is that Luke is careful to state that the leaders stayed behind in Jerusalem. Everyone else that scattered, where this church would ultimately begin, they were not the leaders of the church. They were the members of the church. Ordinary men and women whose lives had been changed by the grace of Jesus, testifying to the good news about him in these new locations. So the point that I want you to see with this first characteristic is that God was pleased to use people who were otherwise not known by title, position, or previous qualifications to expand his kingdom following the death of Stephen. So that's the first characteristic. This church was started by ordinary believers who followed God's call in faithfulness. Characteristic number two, Antioch was strategically positioned for explosive growth in the church. Antioch was a unique place. Back in verse 19 of chapter 11, we see that those who were scattered because of the persecution found themselves in Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Phoenicia included the coastal cities of Tyre and Sidon in modern-day Lebanon. Cyprus was an island in the Mediterranean Sea that was equidistant from Phoenicia and Asian Minor, modern-day Turkey. But it is Antioch that forms the primary setting for this passage. Why was that? Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire after Rome and Alexandria. And so by the time we reach the events in Acts chapter 11, Antioch is a city that's over 300 years old. This was a major city near the border of modern-day Syria and Turkey. It was a strategic location for trade. It served as a connecting point between the Eastern and Western worlds. And not only was it a major political and commercial center, but it was also a city marked by religious and cultural diversity. It was populated by Greeks, Syrians, Phoenicians, Arabs, Persians, Egyptians, and Indians, but also a sizable Jewish population. So in other words, Antioch was this significant place for the church's growth because it was a hub. 
It was a commercial and a political center, but it was also a cultural center. People from all over the world came to engage in trade. They stayed for a time and then they left and traveled to other locations across the empire. And so it is an extraordinarily strategic place for gospel expansion as the church grew in these early years. So that's the second characteristic. The third characteristic, what we see in the church in Antioch is the gospel shared with everyone. These ordinary Christians in this cultural, political, commercial hub sharing Christ with everyone that they met. Okay, so when the first believers, though, came to Antioch, they're sharing the gospel only with Jews, as we saw at the end of verse 19. But in Acts 10 and 11, God appears to Peter, the apostle Peter, in a vision and says, the gospel has to go to the Gentiles. And he gives us an incredible um, vision that says, what I have declared clean, no longer declare unclean. Meaning those who you want separated from because of the perception of their ceremonial and ritual defilement, I intend to save. I intend to see them transformed by the grace of Jesus. And so convincing is Peter's argument before the Jerusalem church that they say, then the grace of God has been revealed to the Gentiles also. And so the people who came to Antioch are taking that new strategy and they're saying, well, then we're gonna share Christ with everyone else as well. And that's why it says they spoke the gospel to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. And so Antioch, what happens is that the church explodes. It's the second church in the book of Acts that is described after Jerusalem. It represents this next movement of foundational expansion in the history of the church, but it is the first place whose beginning is explicitly tied to the preaching of Christ to the Gentiles. That's amazing. Okay, fourth characteristic. You guys still with me? Okay. Fourth characteristic. The church in Antioch lived with a distinct perspective rooted in Christ. They saw the world in a specific way anchored in the gospel. So significant is the spread of the gospel in Antioch that the news about the church's growth reaches Jerusalem. And so they send one of their key leaders, Barnabas, to investigate, just to see. Okay, we don't, it's not that we don't believe you, but they wanna know, is what we're hearing accurate? And so when Barnabas sees the grace of God in the church's birth and expansion, Luke tells us that he was glad and he exhorted them all to two primary things, to remain faithful to the Lord Jesus and to do so with steadfast purpose. Okay, so not only was Antioch this culturally diverse city, it was also a religiously diverse one as well. One ancient historian called Antioch, the abode of the gods, And so in the city, you could find worshipers that were dedicated to Zeus, Apollos, Poseidon, Adonis, and Taishi. It was so imperative then that this new church that's made up of people who worshiped these gods before coming to Christ, that they were able to stand firm in their devotion to the one true God who had brought salvation through Jesus Christ, rather than drifting towards syncretism, which is just a word that says the blending of religious systems in such a way that it denies the fundamental characteristics of each. But the way that they were to pursue this devotion was with what Luke describes as steadfast purpose in Barnabas's encouragement. This term, steadfast purpose, refers to having a resolve about something, 
There is a commitment. There is a kind of um, uh, intentionality in the way that they see their lives. And in other words, what Barnabas is doing is calling the Antiochian church to live with a distinct perspective rooted in Christ, to remain faithful in their devotion to Jesus in contrast to idolatry or syncretism, and to do so with firm resolve, with all of their hearts. That's the fourth characteristic, the fifth characteristic. The church in Antioch was trained in the way of Jesus. After Barnabas sees the work of God in Antioch and after even more people come to Christ, he realizes that something has to be done to make sure these new believers are able to grow up into Christ as God intends. And so in verse 25, he actually leaves Antioch and he travels north to Tarsus because he wants to go find Paul or Saul, who will soon be called Paul, who had been in Tarsus where he was from since not too long after his conversion and early ministry in Damascus and in Jerusalem, as we see recounted in Acts chapter nine. So he goes and finds Saul and they come back to Antioch and they teach the church for an entire year. I don't know if it means that they taught them every day, but it means at minimum they were there with them, life on life, teaching them for an entire year, sharing the gospel, discipling believers. And so impactful is their ministry that Luke recounts something very significant. Other people in Antioch notice the impact and they start calling these believers by a new name, Christians. This name represents a manner of life consistent with one's master. Men and women came to faith in Christ. They're taught to follow Christ. Their lives bear the fruit of their devotion to the Lord and other people around them can see it. That's the fifth characteristic. Characteristic number six, the church in Antioch served the needs of others. In verse 27, we observe that there must have been some regular visits from leaders in Jerusalem to the growing church in Antioch because we see prophets and prophets would come from Jerusalem. One of them named Agabus tells the Antioch church about a famine that's going to occur. And as a result, the church decides to help their brothers and sisters in Judea by sending them a gift delivered by Barnabas and Saul on their behalf. So what we need to see is that the church was not concerned only with their own needs, but with the needs of others and that they were committed to helping them meet those needs. Okay, last characteristic. If we look at chapter 13, we see this, that the church in Antioch sent their best as they were prompted by the Holy Spirit. If we move forward to Acts 13, we start to see that as the church grew, it is led by a diverse group of leaders that includes Barnabas and Paul. And as these leaders are worshiping, praying, and fasting, the Spirit of God speaks to them and says, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I have called them. Luke doesn't specify here what this work actually is, but we know from the rest of the book of Acts that the work is a work of sending. Barnabas and Paul will soon leave Antioch for the first missionary journey where they bring the gospel to Cyprus and to Asia Minor. There's two things for us to see here. First, the leaders of the church were sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, that they were listening, they were praying, they were seeking God and asking him, direct us, guide us. And second, the church was willing to part with key leaders for the sake of the glory of God in the gospel. 
They were willing to let go of these people who had taught them and imparted their very lives to them so that other people might know Jesus and walk with him. So these seven characteristics, ordinary believers who are strategically positioned, who are committed to evangelizing everyone, who live with gospel resolve, who dedicate themselves to being trained, who attend to the needs of others, and who joyfully send in cooperation with the Spirit. This is the blueprint. These are the things that characterize and exemplify the training and sending heartbeat of the church in Antioch. And they show us a pattern. And the pattern led to a fundamental shift in the development and expansion of the church. Because from here on, now the gospel is going everywhere. And Jesus' words in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will go to, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth we start to actually see it happen and it's incredible. So what I want you to hear from us is that your elders, we're not trying to overinflate who we are at Northway, little old Northway. We're one church in a city filled with hundreds of gospel preaching churches, but we believe that these characteristics, a hub of training and sending for the sake of Christ and his gospel, that these are not only possible for us at Northway, but that they are also what God is leading us towards. That's where he's taking us. I wanna tell you three reasons why that is. Then I wanna give you three opportunities that help us know where we need to keep growing, okay? Three reasons why, three opportunities. First, Northway is primed to be a hub for training and sending because DFW is more like Antioch than we may realize. We live in a modern day Antioch. When my wife and I first moved to Dallas in 2006 to attend Dallas Seminary, we kind of thought we were here as a stopover to bigger and better things. And then 16 years later, it's really hard to imagine being in a place in the United States that's more positioned for strategic ministry. For one, DFW is massive. Have you ever flown into DFW airport coming from some other place that's geographically limited? And then you just go, when does the sprawl start? Like Kansas? It's so big, it's massive. Currently, we're the fourth largest metro area in the U.S., but we are receiving new residents at such a clip that demographers have predicted that DFW will become the third largest metro area in just eight years. We received more than 500,000 new residents just from migration in the U.S. 100,000 of those came from the coasts. DFW is exploding. Collin and Denton County, 2 million people combined population greater than all but four cities in our country. DFW is also the third largest commercial center in the U.S. It's home to more Fortune 500 company headquarters than any region of the country except L.A. and New York City. It's not concentrated in one downtown area, but that geographic dispersion of commerce actually means greater and more diverse opportunities for businesses to develop across the area than would otherwise be possible if they were limited to one place. DFW is also extremely diverse. 25% of residents born in in Dallas were born somewhere besides the United States. We have, as a metro, experienced a 30% growth in foreign-born residents, which is more than any other metro area larger than 5 million people in the last 10 years, not to mention the dozens of nationalities represented in our area all over the place. Lastly, DFW is accessible to the rest of the country 
like no other city in the U.S. You can go to any coast in under four hours. We could get on a plane today. I checked, what are the nonstop flights happening today? Maybe a little escapism, I don't know. But we could fly today to Buenos Aires, Sydney, Shanghai, London, Paris, Tel Aviv, Tokyo, Doha, Seoul, Madrid, Istanbul, or Dubai. We could do that today. Isn't that cool? It is. Lastly, okay, I said lastly, I already did that. What I want you to see is that like Antioch in the Roman Empire, DFW is a strategic hub, almost 8 million people. It is a strategic hub unlike few other places in our country. And Northway, like so many of those gospel churches in our city, we have a unique opportunity to leverage this context for the sake of gospel ministry, also that more and more men and women from across the world would have the opportunity to meet and to come to know Jesus Christ. So that's our first reason why I think we have an opportunity here. Second, we are already strategically positioned. Northway is already strategically positioned in our city. And here's what I mean. Last Saturday, I took my family to a uh, fishing fun event in our home in Farmer's Branch, four miles that way. While I was there, I saw three other Northway families doing the same thing, just enjoying the morning, trying to catch a fish, not being successful, dealing with disappointment. (laughs) After that, I took my son to his baseball game over in North Dallas, where there were four more different Northway families representing both teams. Later that afternoon, I officiated a wedding over at the Village Apartments, which I don't know if you've seen it. It's basically a vacation resort now. It's incredible. And I sat at a table with five other couples who are either members here or who used to be and are now serving the Lord at another city. Then my wife and I drove up to Carrollton to crush some sushi for a a double date night because you go to a wedding, you got the babysitter and you leave the wedding and you go do the other thing. And at that restaurant was another Northway member. I mean, I'm in Farmer's Branch, I'm in North Dallas, I'm in Central Dallas, I'm in Carrollton, and you're everywhere. What an incredible opportunity that I can hardly go anywhere in our city without seeing someone who is either a member here or who used to be and is now a part of another church doing gospel ministry. And the point I want you to see is we are already strategically placed for the kind of work that we see in the church of Antioch. The cool thing is that there are hundreds of other churches that desire the same thing in our city. Okay, the third reason why I think we are well-positioned is that we have a track record of sending our best. We have a track record. We have a long history of sending our best according to the Spirit's leading. And that predates Northway. That predates the Village Church Dallas. That goes all the way back to our history as Northway Baptist Church. Back in the 70s, Northway was the mother church for this small little Baptist church called Prestonwood. Maybe you've heard of it. Back in the early 2000s, during a period of decline, the saints here at Northway, many of whom are still here, they gave their building, they gave this building to a church called The Village and merged congregations with them so that a new generation of believers could hear the gospel, could be discipled, and could be sent. In 2013, that church, The Village, launched a campus up in Plano. Several hundred people from this church left to help with its launch. And so many people left, there were still so many people here that it was almost 
negligible, the difference. I mean, we were just in a season of abundance and we were able to say, go, be a part of this. Back in 2015, one of our pastors, Clint Patronella, moved to Boston to plant a church called Seven Mile Road Waltham that launched in 2017 and that he still pastors today. In 2018, in October, on the same day, Adam Griffin, one of our former pastors here, and Kyle Worley, one of our former pastors here, planted Eastside Community Church and Mosaic Church in Richardson, respectively. And we saw about 700 people leave this church in one day. But it was all for the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it would continue to be proclaimed and so that more and more men and women would have the opportunity to hear and believe upon his name. And that's not to mention even recently, Eastside merged with another historic church in Dallas to leverage the same kind of opportunity for gospel expansion. That's not even to mention the many missionaries that have been sent out over the years who have served in places as diverse as Kenya, Ethiopia, China, Taiwan, Vietnam, Indonesia, Qatar, France, the UAE, Turkey, Mali, and South Sudan. That's just from this church, this church alone. And, not, and, and in addition, new global partnerships in Japan and Dubai. If you can't see what we've done historically, how God has blessed that, I hope you can see how well positioned we are to do it in the future based upon what God has done in our history. Okay, so those are three reasons why I think we have an opportunity. But I also wanna think about three possible gaps, three things that we need to grow in. That, prime, that will prime us to be a training and sending church, okay? These three things all already exist in part, so I don't want it to feel like any kind of negative presentation, but they are, these are things that must be fanned into flame. They need to grow. They need to, they need to be more a part of our body if we are to truly embody the characteristics that we see in Acts 11 and Acts 13. First, we have to leverage our opportunity to be trained in the knowledge of God and in the way of Jesus. I mentioned this before, but Paul and Barnabas spent an entire year in Antioch teaching the church. They shepherded them. They taught them who God is about the glorious good news of Jesus Christ and about what it means to follow him as Lord. This teaching, as we have said, was so impactful that it led the whole community to call them by a new name. But the reason that this training was so effective is that it always connected the knowledge of God with the way in which this knowledge is expressed in our lives. It was always those two things together. The church in Antioch was taught to know gospel truths, who God is and what he has done. And they were taught to know gospel pursuits, what life in Christ really looks like. One of my hopes for us going forward is that we as a church would continue to diligently strive for training that cultivates the mind of Christ and the life of Christ in our midst. These two things are not opposed to one another, but instead are essential partners on the path to Christian maturity. There is so much I believe that the Lord will do in the years to come to this end, and I can't wait to see it out. But if this training and sending vision is going to really gain traction, this pursuit must become normative. You who are in this room must see yourself as bearing the responsibility to develop these two attributes, the mind of Christ and the life of Christ. These are fundamental expressions of the church's mission to make disciples. And what that means on a very practical level is I would consider you, invite you to consider how you are going to participate in this. What role will you play as we seek to grow and develop a training vision for us here at Northway? 
The second thing that I think we need to grow in is this development of a gospel perspective in all of our lives. Earlier, we read about how Barnabas exhorted the church in Antioch to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. This perspective is something that we kind of exhibit day to day. Let me explain what I mean. Paul Hebert in his book, Transforming Worldviews, talks about three different characteristics that are fundamental to every worldview. The visible behaviors that characterize daily life, the things that people see, the different values that those behaviors reflect and represent, the stuff that we can say, this is important to our culture. And third, a deeper level, the unseen and underlying beliefs that are at the heart of all of it. They explain why society is the way it is. And so Paul Hebert will say that a worldview shows us the way people live, what they value and what they truly believe about their world. And what I am curious about here at Northway is the extent to which a Christian worldview, a thoroughly gospel perspective marks the lives of our people. I believe we are certainly marked by our understanding of the gospel and the way in which our lives can be transformed as a result. But I also know we struggle to live with much distinction around amid the surrounding culture. So those of you uh, if, we, if we looked at the kind of problems that we struggle with as a people and the way those struggles reflect our internal inner lives, it's there. We struggle with some of the same things everyone else does. And that's not to say that we shouldn't, it's to say that sometimes it looks exactly like it looks around us with no distinction for the way the gospel makes an impact. But it's also true in our outer lives as well, the priorities, the way that we order our lives, consumerism, materialism, and individualism, these things that are the air that our society breathes, this is also true as in us. And as big and wonderful a place as DFW is, it is steeped in these competing worldviews. All of those things are telling us that what we need is a bigger or newer house, that what we need is a higher salary or a better school for our children. We need a new relationship. We need a new identity. And of course, these things may not be evils in themselves, but they all have the capability of diverting our attention from what God is doing in our great city. And so to say it another way, these perspectives are going to take up residence in our hearts if we are not intentional to cultivate one that's steeped in the gospel. And so if we are able to do this, we will, re- we will have that opportunity to reflect Barnabas's exhortation to Antioch as we pursue the Lord with faithfulness and steadfast purpose. Okay, third area for us to grow in, last one, mercifully. We have to grow in pursuing enthusiastic evangelism. We have to grow in this. Back in 2016, I took my first trip to Japan to help provide some counseling training with our global partners, Christ Bible Institute. I was taken on a tour of Nagoya Station, which is the central train station in the city of Nagoya where CBI is located. Brett Rail, who is an American, who's the executive director of CBI, took our small team to this large open foyer in this station, this kind of crossing point where thousands of people are going by every hour in this train station that happens to be one of the largest in the world. While we were walking, watching these people walk through the station, Brett shared with us that of all of the people that were walking through this station in that moment, perhaps only a handful had ever even met a Christian and possibly none of them 
actually knew Jesus. Zero. Out of probably two or 3,000 in a 30-minute period. But there, Brett and CBI were, along with a bunch of other churches that had been planted in Nagoya or Tokyo or Osaka or Kyoto, all, through, all across Japan. And they all saw themselves as ambassadors for Christ, for a, a nation in great need. Okay, so you and I don't live in Japan. And there are a lot of people that claim Christian faith. But there are thousands, millions of people in our city who do not know Jesus. We are increasingly becoming a place where a Christian worldview is an outlier and a scandal. And so how we position ourselves to be able to courageously share the hope of Jesus Christ is crucial for us. If we are to see this hub move forward, if we are to see the way in which explosive growth in the church is possible, it's not by telling more people to come here and a church like this getting bigger. It's by going to the people and telling them about the good news of Jesus. That's how it happens, really and truly. That's the stuff that starts to change lives. And so I know there's fear. I grew up in Texas. I grew up in DFW. Evangelism did not feel like a natural impulse to me. But as we get to know other people in our city, as you get to know people in your workplaces, in your friend groups, and you begin to discern where the need of the gospel is most present, God has positioned you in those relationships in order to bring the hope of Jesus to bear on a person's circumstances. And I can testify knowing the stories of conversion that exist in our church, that that is an incredible opportunity. People, God moves in people's lives and we have a chance to do this. Okay, we've had seven characteristics, three things that I think we're doing wonderful at, three things that I think we need to grow in. What I wanna do is I wanna pray. I wanna pray that God would use us. I pray that he would stir something in you this morning to think through what it looks like in your life to embody some of these characteristics and ask that in the weeks and months and years to come, he will do an incredible work in our midst. So let's pray to these ends, celebrating what God will do. Father, we thank you that we are able to see in your word an example of how you bless the ordinary everyday ministry of believers how you grow your church, how you strengthen your people. We ask that you would do the same in our midst. We know there is nothing that we can do apart from you. Your word says in Psalm 127 that unless you build the house, the laborers build in vain. Lord, we want this to be the house that you build. We want to join you in the work that you are already doing, but we wanna be faithful to, to pray and to plead with you that you would move in our midst for the sake of of the glory of the gospel of your son. We pray for your help as we consider the roles that you're inviting us to play. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Northway Church. A podcast should never replace gathering with God's people to worship Jesus Christ. So we want to encourage you to be part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 4 p.m., and would love for you to join us as we encounter the truth, beauty, and goodness of Jesus.